feels like yesterday. I can remember sort of walking into uh, this one lab area where we had our fume hoods, bench tops, all of that, and a, a small desk for myself and you know my colleague Magnus Anderson uh, to work at, and uh, and that was it. That, that that that's where we started. You know, before we you know went out and raised money and built out a team, and 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 then moved on to eventually uh, graduating from the research part. Welcome back to the Innovations at Research Park podcast. Tune into our show to hear insightful conversations on what innovations Research Park students, companies, and alumni are creating. My name is Tanmay Shaw, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm joined by today's guest, Dr. Gerald Wilson. He's the president and CEO of Autonomic Materials, a homegrown U of I startup that utilizes self-healing technology to create coatings for improved corrosion resistance. Along with leading this company, he's an entrepreneur in residence, or EIR, at Enterprise Works, the U of I startup incubator located in the research park. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. It's great to be with you, Tanmay. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. So just diving in kind of, you know, with your personal background, I know you have some interesting roots to the Champagne community. Um, can you just kind of briefly describe, you know, what those are and kind of introduce yourself uh, as it relates to the U of I community? Sure thing, uh, Tanmay. I made my way down here for graduate school uh, in 2002. Uh, hard to believe it's been that long already. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I did, uh, did a PhD in material science and engineering and uh, spun out um, autonomic materials from the research group that I did my graduate work in. Um, along with uh, a number of um, uh, scientific co-founders, uh, professors in that research group, and, and another colleague. Um, and I've been here ever since. You know, uh, my wife is originally from Champaign, so that's, uh, that's another tie. She grew up in the area, uh, so I've got in-laws uh, in the area now as well, and our kids were born here, so it's... Uh, it's a tie that's that's only getting stronger over time. Absolutely, very much a homegrown story. So along those lines, um, of course, with your educational background being at UIUC as well as your your personal and family background, you've also had a very interesting and illustrious entrepreneurial journey uh, that started at the uh, in the Champagne community. So, can you kind of walk me through some of those milestones uh, in this journey? Sure. You know, I was um, I was very fortunate, really, in the sense that. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was part of a research group that was doing something really, really innovative, something that was uh, really capturing the imagination of uh, academia and industry alike. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be asked to, to, to join the, the founding team for, for Autonomic Materials. Um, I think given interests that I'd expressed over the years uh, with my uh, research advisors around having a career where I could be at the interface of uh, the technology development as well as uh, figuring out ways to uh, put together creative value propositions building on the technology platform. And so I was asked to, to join the team and came on board uh, initially to lead the technology development for autonomic materials. And then two years ago, I was uh, 
asked by our board of directors to take over leadership of the company as CEO. Interesting. So you talk about this kind of involvement that you had right away with the company and obviously into a leadership position now. Can you kind of describe the roots of, of AMI and you know, really what is the value prop? I know I mentioned just in a brief one-liner what the company does, but can you, can you kind of go more into how the idea for the company came about and really what is the, the mission or vision statement for, for the company? Sure. As you mentioned, you know, the company was spun out of uh, self-healing technology that was originally developed at the University of Illinois. I, as I mentioned, I did my graduate work as part of that research group. And, you know, what the technology is actually designed to do is um, design the ability for a material to respond to damage by repairing itself after damage. Essentially, we leverage what's referred to as microencapsulation technology, where we put what we call healing agents, which are basically polymer precursors into microcapsules that get embedded into material so that when those materials are damaged, these microcapsules are ruptured, the healing agent is released into the site of damage. And because it's a polymer precursor, it polymerizes and it uh, repairs the damage. And, you know, the research group did a lot of work around um, designing self-healing functionality into polymerized resins, reinforced polymer composites, things like that, uh, adhesives. And it really um, spawned a, a new field of material science research uh, that, that, is, that is growing to this day where people are looking at a lot of different ways to design this kind of responsiveness, this kind of functionality into material systems. So there are a number of ways the technology can be used. A lot of ways it can, it can add value to existing material systems. So in that sense, it's very much a platform technology. Um, but when we started autonomic, autonomic materials, we looked at corrosion and the protection of some of our most critical infrastructure as, as something where the the technology could really add some value. It is a, a, a very costly problem, costing the global economy upwards of $2 trillion a year. And so our vision was, you know, if we could leverage the technology platform to improve the performance of, um, of, of coding systems, that that would have a lot of ripple effects, both from a cost savings perspective, from a, an eco-friendly uh, perspective. And so... Everything we're doing is, is sort of focused around developing new coding systems, leveraging technology platform towards those ends. Okay. And I'm just trying to imagine uh, various use cases for this technology. So are you applying or is your goal to apply this to, for instance, um, manufacturing, construction, to healthcare equipment? Uh, you know, what kind of verticals are you, are you targeting? You know, what we're really focused on are those types of assets where, first of all, they're operated in extremely corrosive environments, um, where just the effect of the environment leads to um, ongoing and repeated maintenance for, so that those assets can be protected under those kinds of conditions. Um, so we're talking about uh, everything from construction, what we think of as building envelope type uh, applications, so your your window frames, railings, things like that that are operated perhaps in coastal areas where it can be really corrosive to your offshore uh, wind turbines, to oil and gas uh, assets that are operated offshore. Essentially, 
think about any asset that's made out of uh, metal, principally steel or aluminum, where um, it could corrode because of the environment in which it's operated and where uh, taking it offline for repair and maintenance can be really costly or very, very inconvenient. And those are the kinds of verticals we focus on. Interesting. So I can imagine this having also a lot of cost savings, as you mentioned, for, let's say, uh, a large commercial property. Instead of them you know, having these recurring maintenance costs uh, with a more smarter material like the one you're developing, have you seen this kind of um, uh, research or this kind of conclusion come to light uh, as far as any cost savings may be concerned? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that is that is one of the uh, the, the value propositions of the of the technology, right? Um, so we actually develop our own coding systems now, leveraging the technology. And when we uh, are talking to uh, asset owners, um, that is one of the benefits that they find very attractive. The idea that you know their maintenance cycles will be longer, and so you know cost savings associated with maintenance can be recouped from the fact that the maintenance cycles are, are so much longer. Because, you know, typically in, in most applications, most of the cost of maintenance comes from labor, not so much from the materials that are used, right? So uh, if you're talking about anywhere from 80 to 95% of your overall maintenance costs coming from labor, then if you can, over the lifetime of a particular asset that may have had, let's say, four to five major maintenance events over the life cycle, uh, can drop one of those maintenance events over that life cycle, there's significant cost savings associated with that. And, you know, it's probably, it's worth pointing out too, that, you know, some of our customers uh, are very focused now on managing CO2 emissions, moving to net zero uh, operations. That's another value proposition of being able to keep these assets protected for a longer period of time, because every time you're doing maintenance, you know, that's that's power being used typically from, you know, unsustainable sources and it is VOCs being released into the environment. We're, we're creating uh, a lot of value uh, from that perspective as well. Yeah, it's, it's always really interesting, you know, once you dive into uh, a, a venture like this to see all the different impacts you can have and even ones you've never even uh, could thought you could make, for instance, with the green energy, as you're saying. Another, I think, really interesting byproduct um, that comes from really deep tech companies like yours is the opportunity to file patents through the process. Uh, have you had a chance to uh, engage in, in any in any such patents through uh, this research that you've essentially commercialized? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, uh, as I think would be the case for a number of, uh, for, for, for just about every company that uh, has academic roots, started the company with a portfolio of intellectual property that we licensed from the University of Illinois. And generally speaking, you know, I can imagine this, this would be the case for others as well. You know, that IP can be fairly uh, high level and, and fairly general because, you know, university research is not necessarily geared towards uh, developing products for very specific applications. As we've uh, taken that journey of understanding our, our customers' needs and developing products uh, to meet those needs in the marketplace, we've developed new technology, new products uh, in the process. And so, you know, we've, we've, we've developed uh, and, and protected some of our own IP along the way. And at this point, we have 
something like uh, over 40 issued and pending patents in our, in our, in our portfolio. Wow, that's amazing. So coming to your partnership, not only with the University of Illinois, but also the Research Park, um, I believe you participated in the Enterprise Works Incubator. Of course, Enterprise Works being the startup incubator uh, for the U of I. Um, can you share that experience uh, that you had uh, in that program, and you know what were some of those success stories from that? Sure, it was it was it was absolutely critical to to, to getting us uh, to to this point. I think. You know, this is one of the ways that, you know, the University of Illinois and, you know, the, the research park and the ecosystem in general uh, really can be differentiated from, uh, from, from other institutions because, you know, there, there's just a nice combination of resources that you can take advantage of when you are looking to get a company off the ground. So we started, for example... Uh, by being able to get seed funding from Illinois Ventures and then, you know, getting uh, a lab space in the research park uh, in Enterprise Works uh, to, uh, to get started. Feels like yesterday I can remember sort of walking into uh, this one lab area where we had our fume hoods, bench tops, all of that, and a, a small desk for myself and, you know, my colleague Magnus Anderson uh, to work at. And, uh, and that was it. That, 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 that's where we started, you know, before we, you know, went out and raised money and built out a team and, and, and then moved on to eventually um, graduating from the research park. But it was it was a, a really uh, beneficial period of time because, you know, one of the things that I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit is that, you know, there's this transition that you make, whether you are a professor that's, that's starting a company, or in my case, uh, I went from uh, doing my graduate work uh, at, at Illinois directly into, into starting AMI. There's this, there's, there's this transition that happens and being able to do it in an ecosystem that, you know, puts together programming, for example, to expose, you know, new startup founders or employees to uh, basic things like entrepreneurial finance, you know, uh, you know, the ins and outs of uh, incorporation, you know, some of the, you know, legal aspects of, of getting a company off the ground, how you put a pitch deck together, how you raise money. Uh, all, all those things were, were, were very helpful. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, making the kind of progress we did in those in those early stages without that kind of uh, support in place. Mm hmm. So when did you graduate? You said you, you graduated through the incubator. When was that? Yeah, so we actually um, left Enterprise Works in, in 2012. Uh, so we started um, you know, towards the end of 2007, um, left Enterprise Works in, in, in 2012. And, uh, you know, just our growth, the, the, the kind of pieces of equipment that we needed, you know, we started needing to acquire these giant saw fogs, which you use to accelerate the corrosion process. And it just became really pr just practically difficult, even though, you know, we really liked the environment and the ability to be around other entrepreneurs. It, it, it became really really difficult to stay in, in enterprise works or, or in the park for that matter, just because of the kinds of uh, pieces of equipment that we were needing to uh, procure. Yeah. So it's almost been 10 years since, since the enterprise works graduation. And 
Um, can you kind of touch on, you know, where, where's the company now as far as location, um, kind of achievements since that uh, graduation from that program? Uh, you know, how far you've come since then? Sure. Um, you know, so one of the nice things is that uh, we did graduate from Enterprise Works, um, but we've stayed local. Right. And, and um, there are a lot of good reasons for that, uh, including the fact that uh, by being a startup that is in this ecosystem, we still have access to university equipment, for example, through a facilities use agreement that we that we take advantage of. Uh, and that is that is not a trivial uh, competitive advantage. You know, we work with much, much larger organizations that don't have access to, to the kinds of equipment that we, we can access. And so that's something that was important uh, to keep in mind in terms of where we would graduate to. We also continue to have uh, pretty close collaborations with uh, the research group where the technology was, was originally developed and with the professors that um, that are part of that research group and some of whom, including Nancy Sotos, Paul Braun and, and, and Jeff Moore, uh, were co-founders of our company as well. So we sort of stayed close to our roots and um, and that was that was important. You know, we've grown a bit since then. You know, we've got a team of, of eight people now uh, and a good a good portion of our of our size or the decision around uh, what we've done in terms of hiring has to do with our business model. Um, we do have uh, a lot of our manufacturing contracted out, so we're chiefly research and development and marketing with the with the team that we that we currently have. And I'm happy to say that you know the the, the development efforts that um, you know that uh, we've engaged in over the years have led to you know some some recognition in the marketplace, including you know, reset recognition from Solar Impulse for the sustainability of our, our latest product, as well as recognition from the National Association of Corrosion Engineers as the Corrosion Innovation of the Year in, in 2019. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd say we're making a lot of progress. Uh, we've got a, a great group of, um, of investors and partners that continue to support us, and uh, we're excited to see what the next phase holds for autonomic materials. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I'm sure along this journey, you've had uh, some very important learnings um, throughout the path. And I wanted to just pick your brain on, you know, what are maybe some of those more important or lesser known learnings that you think would be valuable for our listeners of this show who could be interested in either starting a company or have already started one and are looking to kind of expand it? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that one of the nice things about the ecosystem, right, is that there's no shortage of of folks you can talk to about about lessons learned. So I'll, I'll just encourage people who are interested in in an entrepreneurial journey, starting a company, to take advantage of the fact that um, you know just going down to the research park and connecting with with companies out there. There's there's a lot you, you you can learn. But what I'll say from my own personal experience and from uh, discussions that that I've had with with other entrepreneurs, uh, both in our ecosystem and and out of our ecosystem, is uh, you know I, I think that there's a lot to be gained by doing a lot of work in the beginning around the vision of of the company that uh, that you're looking to start. Um, I think that there are times when 
you know, we fast forward to starting the company and getting it off the ground. And oftentimes, especially, you know, when you have an institution like the University of Illinois uh, with so much technical capability uh, and so much groundbreaking research happening, you know, oftentimes it becomes about the technology. You know, it becomes about here's the technology. We're going to take it you know, out of the lab, uh, so to speak, and, and, and build a business around it. Um, but I think that if, if more time is spent, and certainly this is, this is something that, um, you know, in looking back, I think we would have benefited on, from as well, um, it, it, you know, is spending more time thinking about, you know, why are we starting, you know, this company? Uh, what, what is the vision? What are we looking to achieve? The, the technology is really a means to achieving that vision. And if you're vision-oriented and, and very vision-driven, then it, it makes space for you to think about more creative ways to meet your vision, meet your customers' needs ultimately. So I would say uh, more work upfront with the founding team, strategically selecting the founding team, but then also having uh, a good level of... Um, uh, of, of discussion, of research around crafting that vision and ensuring that the entire founding team, including whoever is going to lead the company as CEO, is completely bought into that vision. Uh, because I find that just, just merely thinking about meeting the next milestone, raising the next round, or even thinking about an exit is, is for most people, is, is not a compelling enough outcome to push through the challenges that that come from from getting off a, a company off the ground and growing it, I think when it's tied to something that is a, a mission that everybody can can get behind, uh, it can be much more powerful. Yeah, that's a great point you brought up. I, I actually think about that a lot too when it comes to my own career path, and you know that point being that if there are obstacles that come in the way, or if there are hurdles that appear that distract from uh, what seems to be the the happy path. Uh, if you have that strong core reason as to why you're pursuing this, whatever it may be, whether it's starting a venture, uh, pursuing a, a, a corporate role, whatever it may be, um, I think that that really grounds you and keeps you going. But at the same time, I do think that a lot of especially younger founders who are um, who, who seem to have the right folks in place as far as a founding team, uh, they often pivot. And they often find that they uh, their initial idea for their vision for this venture, uh, is not what they thought it would be. What advice do you have for folks like that who are struggling with, you know, where to go next if their if their current uh, idea of their vision uh, may be flawed or or may not be the one that they uh, want to pursue? The vision is something that requires a lot of time up front, but but then requires a lot of time on an ongoing basis. You know, because. It's about crafting a, a good one, one that is compelling, one that's going to drive um, a lot of you know, buy-in uh, from the management team and the entire company. People can really get, get behind it. But you know, as, you, as you pointed out, the realities uh, sometimes necessitate a, a pivot. I, I, in fact, I would say more often than not, right? And so having that ongoing uh, interaction with the you know, the customer base or the vertical you're trying to serve and bringing that information in and, and having ongoing discussions around 
whether or not the vision, the initial stated vision of the company still serves that that segment uh, adequately, still serves that 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 set of customers uh, adequately is um, is important. Uh, it's it's something that I think uh, you know needs to be happening on an ongoing basis because it feeds so much more. You know, it feeds the kind of culture you put together, uh, how you. Uh, ensure you're intentional about uh, about building that culture and making sure that um, everyone's buying into that culture, as well as you know what you do from a strategic perspective. You know, so so these these are things that I, we we have ongoing conversations about, and it's something I'm always thinking about. I want to talk now about your role as an EIR, which stands for Entrepreneur in Residence at the Research Park. What do you do in this role and why do you think such a role is so important to the ecosystem? Yeah, what, what I found in, in talking to, you know, some of the other entrepreneurs and residents is that, you know, and I think it's intentional. I think it's very, very beneficial. Uh, you know, these are folks with very different types of backgrounds, the range of backgrounds uh, in terms of domain expertise is, is, is really, really broad. Um, the kinds of companies they've been involved with uh, can be very different, um, and they bring they each bring uh, very different things to the table in terms of working with uh, with uh, with entrepreneurs. Um, you know, the way I think about it is that the highest uh, performers, the top performers that we are all familiar with in in just about every field, you know, have all had coaches continue to be coached over. Um, over their, their entire careers. And when you're, you know, making that transition um, from, you know, what we might call a, a more uh, academic background, whether it's because you're a faculty member starting a company or you're a postdoc or a student or something like that, it, it's certainly helpful to bounce ideas off of uh, someone who's who's been there, right? You know, who who, who can you know, challenge some of your assumptions uh, a, a bit and, and, and push you to think about things a little bit differently to get you ready, right? You don't, for example, want to practice your pitch on the investor that you're pitching to, right? You don't want the very first time you're giving a pitch presentation to be, uh, to, you know, to be when it, when it really counts. And so, um, I see the EIRs as as very helpful in creating the right space and conditions uh, for uh, for for some of the, the the newer entrepreneurs to be able to think through how to get ready and work through the various milestones that they'll encounter as they as they start their businesses. Uh, as I mentioned, it's it's a pretty diverse group of people. And so there's a relatability aspect to that too. You know, in my case, having gone through the university system as as a as a graduate student, then starting um, a company at Enterprise Works, uh, graduating that company, and being um, local to to the EW uh, and Research Park ecosystem, um, I, I bring a, a slightly different perspective from that which someone else might just having gone through that particular journey. And, you know, specifically, you know, starting a company in, in the advanced material space, which is another area that, you know, our, our university uh, is, is very strong in, I think, you know, brings a, a, another level of 
of thinking around, you know, how do you how do you get a, a, a an events materials company started? What are what are the mistakes we made that I, I could potentially help help someone navigate around, um, you know, as as they start to hit the ground? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's pretty much it in in, in a nutshell. Um, I kind of want to just uh, bring my experience to just be alongside someone that 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 I can help uh, think through some of the things that were more thorny for us at an earlier stage. Yeah, it, it's things that are that are uh, not so cut and dry that you might find just researching on your own, and you know, it's it's more of like providing assistance in the form of strategy. Um, you mentioned that it's it's uh, for young founders, whether they're faculty members, um, current students, graduate students. Uh, so I'm assuming the program is targeted towards all of these groups. It is, yeah, and I think to a certain extent, um, you know, even uh, startup founders that may uh, be, just be in our ecosystem may have some affiliation with the university, but but may not necessarily be be students or faculty members. So I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to uh, and work with graduate students, faculty members, um, you know, and, and everything in between uh, so far. Amazing. So what is your definition of success as an EAR? I think you mentioned you want to provide that advice that you wish you had when you were on this journey for starting out. Um, now that you're on the other side of the table, what do you think is your definition of done of, you know, helping a certain person get to a certain place? Yeah, I, I think really it's all about the, um, the, the entrepreneurs and the milestones that they are looking to achieve, right? So, so uh, that, that's really, I, I think, the only thing you can, you can really focus on. Uh, I think on some level, you, you can start by looking at the milestones and helping uh, them assess whether they they are actually the right milestones, and uh, but once you agree on on what they're trying to achieve, then uh, success for me is is really helping put in place. You know, sometimes it's about connecting them uh, with resources that may already be available uh, through the research park. It may be connecting them with people in my network. It may be connecting them with other um, EIRs. Um, but it's about helping them get through, think through, and then get through the, um, the the stage gates that they might put in place for getting through a specific milestone. Yeah, amazing. For anyone listening, this sounds like an amazing uh, avenue for for just picking brains and for really getting uh, those questions answered that um, that you can't find online, as I mentioned, or or in just your own research. So, I would highly encourage anyone who's uh, on this this uh, this path to. Uh, leverage this opportunity that the research park is providing. So on a final note, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, with all the, all the knowledge you've gathered throughout the years in, in uh, entrepreneurship and in, in the material science space, um, what are some of your favorite resources to stay up to date on startup news? Yeah, Ten May, you know, um, there, there are the, 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 the typical, uh, you know, sources that, uh, you know, that, that folks would, would read, you know, uh, things like, uh, you know, TechCrunch and um, Y Combinator blogs. Um, y Combinator recently had a series around taking, um, you know, spinning out university uh, technology into startups that, you know, very much resonated with, 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 with my background, for example. You know, so, so besides some of those kinds of things, uh, you know, I spend 
a lot of time, you know, reading and following certain certain thought leaders. Uh, ben Horowitz, for example, um, you know, folks can look him up. His book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I think is a must read for, for any new entrepreneur. Um, you know, everyone who knew what I did kept telling me, you need to check out this book. And, and once I did, I finally understood why. Um, so I, I'd highly, highly recommend that. And especially for our ecosystem where I've seen, you know, a, a lot of the thinking around, you know, the idea of, of needing to, you know, have a technology spun out and then maybe going out and getting someone who's a little bit more experienced in business to come in and, and lead the company. Uh, you know, Horowitz and, um, and uh, is very much a firm believer in the founder CEO. And I, I'd like to see our ecosystem really embrace that and, and, and uh, you know, develop more, uh, more founder CEOs. Um, you know, also a, a really big fan of uh, uh, Angela Duckworth's work. Uh, I uh, also listen to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast because that's so much more about about leadership and uh, you know how you can really work uh, with people, create the right culture, and create the right space for people to be vulnerable, which is which is where. Um, innovation actually happens. You know, you build trust and, and innovation is, you know, actually happens. Um, yeah. And I, you know, big, big fan of Simon Sinek as well, uh, because we, we, you know, we've talked a, a lot about vision, you know, being oriented around, uh, you know, what really, what really drives you, you know, at, at your very, very core, uh, what are you trying to achieve? Um, you know, these, this is something I think about all the time, and it's something that I encourage, you know, other entrepreneurs, your, you know, your listeners uh, to, to embrace, because at the end of the day, it's, it's what keeps us really focused on, on, our, on our respective paths. Fantastic. Yeah, those are, those are all names that I've come across in the past, and I would agree they are definitely um, ones that you want to keep up with. So. Amazing. Well, those are all the questions I have. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. You can find out more information about the EAR program and sign up for an appointment at researchpark.illinois.edu slash resource slash EAR. Of course, please don't forget to follow or subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is you're listening from. Uh, and if you enjoyed this particular conversation, uh, we would really appreciate if you can share it on social media, tag the research park so that we can see your comments and feedback and keep improving. So Thank you very much for listening and we will see you for the next episode. Bye.